The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Startup Focus with Game Changers, presented by SAP, the best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo with big data and real-time and predictive analytics from the consumer to the enterprise. Learn how to help your organization move in exciting new directions. Here's your host, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, you're in the right place. Today's buzz, once again, high tech. We love it so much. We're doing part two. Let me set this up for you. Today's lean and mean startups, you know who you are and you know somebody who's doing this, have the advantage of being very well positioned to adopt and scale high tech innovations. But they also have a responsibility to choose which innovations they're going to adopt, how they're going to do it, and if they're offering technology, what are they going to offer to their audience? I have a panel of three experts going to help us figure this out and solve the problems of the world today. The experts speak. Let me introduce my first guest. His name is Ron Wessels. He is the Global Alliance's lead for the SAP Startup Focus Program. Ron sent me the following quote, which is partly under his authorship, and we'll find out what part. Here's the quote. Listen up. This is good stuff. Entrepreneurs need to live their passion yet maintain their balance. Beware that entrepreneurs tend to worship their work. They tend to work at their play, and they tend to play at their worship. And Ron adds, this approach is out of balance and will not lead to fulfillment. Ron Wessels, welcome to Startup Focus with Game Changers. How are you today? Good, Bonnie. Thanks. Glad I could be here. Glad you too. So, talk to me. Interesting quote. A lot of meat on the bones here. So, entrepreneurs need to live their passion yet maintain their balance. Which is the harder part, the passion or the balance, Ron? Being an entrepreneur and dealing with entrepreneurs, it's not the pa- it's not the passion. <laughs> no problem being passionate. It's a hard part. Okay. When to stop, uh, when to refocus, and those kinds of things. So the passion is not, as far as I'm concerned, the passion is what we, uh, we've got going on in, in spades. So what about the balance? How do they get the balance? You say they need to maintain it, which implies that they already have it somewhere, somehow. What is the challenge in terms of what are they balancing, Ron? Well, I have to say this quote for me goes back literally 20-plus years, and I just love the way that it rings as far as even as it comes off your tongue, but also in its truth. You know, we tend to worship our work, work at our play, and play at our worship. And I think the key point I would emphasize there is worshiping our work is not going to give us the satisfaction of a life well-lived. And I don't want to be overly spiritual here or anything like that, but if we tend to give God status to our jobs, to our startup, we are going to end up being disappointed because that job is not going to meet the requirements of, of godlihood. 
Okay. Well, you said it, Ron. And by the way, who is Chuck Swindoll? I understand that he wrote part of the input to this quote. You want yeah, to tell us who he is? He's the meat in the middle there. Worship, worship their work. Okay. Worship their play and play at their worship. He's a pastor in Southern California uh, and has written a number of books, which I actually have enjoyed and appreciated his books through the years. Okay, thank you, Ron. Good start to our topic. We're talking today about the impact of startups on high-tech. Do high-tech startups have a distinct advantage? We'll get around to the answer eventually. Let's welcome back a veteran of SAP Radio. Dan Summers is co-founder and CEO of Warwick Analytics, and he sent me the following quote, which was, the philosophical problem with big data is that it flies in the face of everything we're told about the environment and recycling. In other words, we need to pinpoint grandma engagement ring rapidly amongst the other junk and recycle the other electrons. What a quote. Dan Summers, welcome back. How are you? Hey, Bonnie. Very well. Thanks. Very well. Glad to be here. Good. So talk to me. Is Grandma still looking for an engagement ring? Well, we don't know yet because there's too much other stuff in there. Um, Yeah, it is my soapbox uh, topic and uh, it comes down to something called the Jevons Principle. Jevons was a, I think, a 19th century economist and basically came up with the hypothesis that the, more, the easier something is to do, the more we do it. And he was referring to things like digging up oil and that sort of thing. But I think in this paradigm, it refers to data gathering, this whole notion of big data. People are just gathering stuff because they can. And uh, I think we need to move out of the, uh, the, the phase of immaturity to, uh, to actually using this stuff and only gathering what we need. Dan, can we relate this, please? Can you relate this to our topic today, startups and their impact on high tech, whether they're, they're inventing it, they're creating it, they're packaging it, they are selling it. Uh, how, does this, how does this relate to our, our topic today, please? I think startups and new companies, they come with a fresh um, piece of paper. They don't have mm-hmm. any con- uh, preconceptions. So it's the old fable of the emperor's new clothes. And whilst there are a lot of companies out there where big data, frankly, is, is a problem for the customer, maybe, but it's an opportunity. And, and really, we're just talking about managing the stuff. So it's mm-hmm. almost like um, the sort of poacher turned gamekeeper. Well, you need poachers and gamekeepers just to keep the whole thing going. Uh, people creating big data, people storing it. No one's getting anywhere. Um, I guess the, the startups can come and exist because they only have a right to exist if they can add value. If they don't, they mm-hmm. disappear very quickly. And if they can come up with something innovative, which is actually Emperor's New Clothes, okay, guys, we can actually do something with this data, and we can actually find insight, and we can actually give value and reason to all of this uh, soup uh, that's going on, then that's a very powerful thing. And and I don't think it's any surprise that analytics is one of the highest growth in uh, in new businesses uh, in in the software business. Thank you, Dan. I have an interesting question for you before we bring on our third panelist. The question is, is high-tech sexy for startups? Do they sit down at that drawing board or that piece of, I don't know, the the grid paper or the barcoding paper, whatever it is, and say, wow, this is such a ripe area for innovation, and we are just going to conquer the world. We're going to come up with something nobody's ever heard of, and it's going to help companies do bigger and better and faster and smarter. Is it the new sexy in startups, or has it been all along being in high tech? Um, I think I'm going to just latch on to to, uh, Ron's thing. Um, I don't understand balance. (laughs) I understand (laughs) passion. Uh, I'll have to talk to Ron later. Um, um, The the fact is that some people develop businesses in uh, all kinds of sectors. 
if you're innovative new brick or ball bearing or way to manufacture wood, it can all be incredibly sexy if you are breaking boundaries. I guess the mm. nice thing about high-tech is that sometimes the markets aren't there, so sometimes you've got to create them. Now, sexiness there can sometimes be... Um, you know, chasing at windmills. So you've got to get, you've got to get everything right. Um, you can be sexy and innovative in quite boring industries, and actually the, the high-tech that we address is obviously manufacturing, um, which I wouldn't say is boring, but doesn't get the sex appeal, and I'm using your language, Bonnie. Mm, uh, I know. <laughs> uh, that other sectors deserve. Um, so I would say that be careful about uh, seduction, um, mm-hmm. you know, focus on the real market, but within that, high-tech for sure offers the, uh, the, the fastest route to innovation and opportunity. Thank you very much, Dan. Thanks, thanks for playing. I appreciate you handling that so beautifully and so genteelly. We know what that means. And let's bring on our third panelist waiting so patiently in the wings. His name is Balaji T.T. The first time I've met a person whose last name is two capital letters, and I love that. I think he's already a rock star. He's the CTO of Segeza, and he's responsible for their big data logistics suite of products. And Balaji gave me this quote. He says, it is not the size of data that matters. It is what you do with it, which sounds a little bit like something Dan was talking about. Balaji, welcome to Startup Focus with Game Changers. How are you today, Balaji? Thanks, Bonnie. Good to be here. I'm doing good. Thank you. Wonderful. Talk to me about your quote, brief and to the point, and let's get to the heart of the matter. Talk to me. Uh, there's a lot of buzz around uh, big data and how much data is getting generated while people are losing uh, focus on what can be done with the data that they already have. And... Mm-hmm. Uh, the main purpose of the quote is that focus on the value of data, not how much data you got. Okay. So what do you tell people to do with that data? It's what you do with it. Well, what's your, what would your advice be off the top? If somebody can only listen for 10 minutes today, what would you tell them to do with the data? What matters? We strongly believe uh, even the data that enterprises currently have uh, are not reaching the people who can benefit out of it most organizations will have to bring in more discipline in the way they gather information and also deliver uh, insights to the people who can benefit the most. Uh, We believe uh, even in the current environment, uh, it's an underserved requirement, and that's why organizations have to start focusing on business value, not all the plumbing that makes this exciting. Thank you very much. Good answer. I'm going to go back, circle back to our panel and ask everybody to tell us a little bit about you. Let's go back to Dan Summers, CEO at Warwick Analytics. Dan, those who might not have heard you a couple months ago on the show, just give us a high-level view. What is Warwick? What does it do? When did it start? And what impact do you hope to have or are already having on high tech? Talk to me. So Warwick Analytics is a set of algorithms and it's a software set of software packages that essentially deals with automated root cause analysis. So this is finding what the root cause of problems is, in, particularly in manufacturing, uh, but also in maintenance, so for other assets, oil and gas utilities, etc. The provenance goes back to the University of Warwick, uh, where there was a professor um, who, and it was a, it was a research project, and uh, there were some uh, algorithms being concocted um, which were coming out of Six Sigma processes, and uh, he was actually in the, in the U.S. Uh, as well as in the U.K., um, and some of the research there was trying to catch problems before they were statistically significant. So he had to use algorithms which were obviously not statistical, if you're following me, mm-hmm. and from there uh, we developed and coded the algorithms into software, 
and we've been taking it to market in the last 18 months. And how's the market responding, Dan? Do they get it? Um, <clears throat> some do, and uh, those are the guys that um, we uh, obviously uh, enjoy working with. Like anything, there's a spectrum. Um, it's the old crossing the chasm thing. There are the early adopters. They can be good, but they can also be dangerous because they're obsessed with technology for its sake. Mm-hmm. Then there's the early adopter. Then there's this sort of early adopting mass market, and they're the guys you really want. They're the thought leaders, but actually they're solving business pain. And uh, I'm delighted to say that uh, we are gaining traction. And uh, um, with SAP's help as well um, in that regard, uh, so on our own with, uh, and, and, and with SAP, which is fantastic. Okay, Dan, one more question for you. How big was the team that put together the concept, the, the raison d'etre for Warwick Analytics? How long did it take them to bring something to market? Okay, there's several different answers to that question, Bonnie. Um, trying to give you a sort <laughs> give me of your flavor. top two. <laughs> <laughs> trying to give you a flavour. Uh, the research was was go- was kicking around for um, for about a, a decade, um, as I understand. Now, a decade of academic research can mean anything, right? Um, we took um, the best part of uh, a couple of years to both find and and do some business development, and then to um, turn the business turn the algorithms into software. Um, so if you like, it's kind of lived a couple of lives, both as a research project <clears throat> mm-hmm. and now, uh, and then as an early business and now as a, as a, as a growing business. Um, so, um, yeah, pick whichever answer you, 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 you search for. <laughs> I like them all. I like them all. Thank you, Dan. I appreciate that. Balaji at Segeza, CTO. Balaji, tell us a little bit about Segeza. What do you do? When was the company brought to life? And uh, how big was the startup team? And what was their thought about impacting the high-tech industry? Okay. Segeza initially started uh, about five and five and a half years ago, I, uh, mainly focused on emerging technology issues. Uh, we started with the focus of solving CIO's top three problems and whatever may be top of their list. And uh, it let us actually evolve into this one central theme that uh, data is very valuable and it has to be core of any enterprise architecture. And uh, about two and a half years ago, we decided to actually make uh, inroads into building a product that will solve this problem. There was a lot of white space that was not being addressed by enterprise software in the market. Mm-hmm. Um, the main area that we identified was what we have termed as big data logistics. Um, if we were to compare ourselves to physical logistics, we want to do what FedEx and UPS has done for physical goods. We want to be able to do that for data. And uh, startup then was born out of it. We went and hired a few people. Um, the initial team was about five people who have worked earlier in Google and have uh, all their life breathed and lived big data. And uh, we were able to see the team with them, and team has since then grown multifolds. We're happy to say that uh, we have successfully uh, created a market for the product and the problem space we have identified. We are live uh, in uh, many of the telcos in Europe where we are powering Mm -hmm. their uh, big data logistics that helps them um, solve uh, large data processing problems. 
Thank you very much. Good overview. And I don't want to leave Ron Wessels out just because you work for SAP Startup Focus Program, Ron. I'm reading here from your bio. You say you spent 15 of the last 20 years working in or for startups, and you even had a consulting practice called KYNERGY, Kinergy or Kinergy, that worked with an angel fund vetting startup opportunities and consulting to funded startups. Ron, what would be your point of view, your take on the kinds of information you've heard so far from Balaji? and Dan in terms of startups impact who is creating the most impact in terms of business value and startups in the high tech arena what what do you observe yeah uh, Bonnie thanks for the for that uh, absolutely mm-hmm. look at at these two different startups doing very different things actually i don't think you were asking me to compare and contrast what they are doing in particular nope but if i were you by the way? No, I just I just want your take on the on the field in general, on the arena. Yeah, I think the arena. The thing that is I find in, intriguing, and uh, Dan kind of goes back to what you said at the beginning and Bonnie's initial question. We tend to look at the business to consumer type solutions as the things that are sexy, quote unquote, because they they apply directly to us as individuals. Mm-hmm. But I do think, and this is not something that uh, I'm not going to be the uh, one who's noticed this, the first one who's noticed it, but the new sexy, if there is a new sexy, is business to business. And the recognition that enterprise, mm. because of the amount of data that is being collected uh, and is being processed, we've got to figure out ways to get at the true value and get rid of the, the junk just like Dan and uh, Balaji just talked about. So I do think that that is where we're headed, and it's not going to go away. The, the, our ability to create data has uh, obviously created enormous storage uh, challenges, and yet we continue to solve those challenges with technology. Now the question is, okay, great, we have it all stored. How do we get value out of it? And we have a lot of startups that are doing just that. And Ron, have you observed a trend in the past 15 years now that you are nicely ensconced at the SAP Startup Mm. Focus Program, looking back perhaps over your shoulder at at your history with startups, you seeing any changes in trends in the high-tech field? Uh, More companies, fewer companies, the the generations that are doing these startups, creating them, bringing them to market. Any just a couple of words of wisdom from your, uh, shall we call it your rear view mirror? Yeah. I mean, Ron, go ahead. Yeah, what a great question. Thank you. For me, I look back to the early 90s, Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, you know, which is not early 90s, excuse me, late 90s, early 2000s. Okay. When we didn't know to say the words software as a service. Mm -hmm. We just knew that we had to make a move from providing uh, a point solution to providing a subscription solution. And I was part of a, a startup at the time, and I was, I'm really excited to look back and say, before I knew how to say software as a service, I was selling software as a service. And, uh, you know, we were basically selling a subscription model to data and how to take action on that data. Um, so that's one point, is to see that evolution. And I think, again, this genie is out of the bottle. And it has tremendous impact on companies like 
SAP and BMC and you know, a whole host of people is how do we take our core business of selling on-premise big iron software solutions and move them to a subscription model? That's how people want to pay. They don't want to be locked into a big upfront purchase and then really hefty uh, maintenance fees. Instead, want to be able to say, "Oh, we need some more. We need some more seats. Let's turn on some more seat licenses. Oh, we've downsized. Let's turn off some seat licenses." Mm-hmm. Uh, that is the future, and we're not going back. So that would be the one thing that I have observed countless times. The other thing I've observed with this program is the staggering emphasis there is right now, and maybe it's a little bit of what I call reticular retention. Because I'm in this business, my eyes are seeing it everywhere. You know, when you buy that new Honda Ridgeline, you think you're the only one on the road. Then all of a sudden you buy one and you see Honda Ridgelines everywhere. That's Uh, right. That's reticular retention. So you start seeing, but what I'm seeing, and to answer your question, Bonnie, is an amazing emphasis by countries, by, you know, large enterprise on entrepreneurship. And I don't think that's been here in the way, in this way, um, ever. So I do think that's a, that is a brand new thing. I mean, obviously entrepreneurship has been around as long as mankind has been around. But that's I think how we got emphasis, here, that's right. Yeah, mm-hmm. the emphasis on it from a social and community and government level is more than I've ever seen before. Thank you, Ron. Good over-the-shoulder look back, and I know at the end of the show we're going to look ahead and do some predictions. I know you'll be ready for that, too. I'm talking today on a live edition of Startup Focus with Game Changers with my wonderful panel, who are Ron Wessels at SAP Startup Focus, Dan Summers at Warwick Analytics, and Balaji TT at Segeza. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. We are live, as I said, and we certainly are lively as well. When we come back, we're going to enter the almost 30-minute nonstop roundtable marathon. See if they can all make it to the end, to the finish line. I know they can. We're going to start off with Dan Summers with an interesting note he sent me before the show. He says, technology versus evolution. I thought one was part of the other, so Dan's going to have to educate me. We'll be right back in about 90 seconds. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We'll be right back. Michael, take us out. business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. In today's globalized world, the competition for customers and marketplace has never been fiercer. Emerging technologies, especially those like big data, can help level the playing field and enable everyone from established enterprises to nimble startups to radically change the status quo. The bottom line, if you embrace technology, you can innovate your way to success. Big data is changing the way we live our lives and do business. Learn how with Startup Focus with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. 
With new companies like yours competing aggressively for top customers, your strategies and tools must level the playing field and position you well against your larger adversaries. Today, you are faced with global competition for both customers and talent that will drive your business. The bottom line, you need to define what's going to set you apart and you need to embrace innovation in every facet of your company and your brand. Startup Focus with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Startup Focus with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Startup Focus with Game Changers. Here we are, and I have to report the water's fine on Twitter at hashtag SAP Radio. You know how to spell that, so join Tom and join SAP underscore radio, and I'm at Biz Break Radio. You can spell that, too, and join us in your comments, your thoughts, your questions for the panel. We'd love to hear you see you tweet. Okay, let's get back to our roundtable. I'm talking today to Ron Wessels at SAP, Dan Summers, Warwick Analytics, and Balaji TT at Segeza, and we're going to kick off our marathon round roundtable section now with something Dan Summers told me that is provocative, profound, pithy. I'm running out of adjectives, Dan. Help me. The topic is technology versus evolution. I thought tech was the evolution. Talk to me, Dan. What do you mean? And then we'll ask Ron and Balaji to join in the conversation. Go ahead, Dan Summers. Um, So I'm a fan of evolutionary psychology books, amongst others, and um, we are evolved not for this era. We are evolved for an era many thousands of years ago, tens of thousands of years ago, and therefore the the, the fact that there's technology out there and the fact that it doesn't get adopted is not because the technology isn't any good. It's because there are limitations of human being, human being 1.0. And there are many famous quotes on this, um, and people are always surprised about why technology doesn't get adopted. So I have many uh, soapbox uh, points on this, um, which I can share with you. <laughs> yeah, share, share a couple. Go ahead. <laughs> so I, I think we're guilty, um, and I'm not talking about um, uh, men and women here, but I think both sexes, I'm thinking there's, there's, a, there's a macho element in us, um, and I'll, I'll, I'll qualify that meaning we need to solve problems. And this manifests itself even in our leisure time. So, uh, you know, people build jigsaws, they do Sudoku, they play chess Mm -hmm. um, in their leisure time. I mean, why? You know, you think about it. What on earth are we doing testing our brains all all this time? Uh, This is how we're wired. This is what we are built to do. So this can be a good thing and a bad thing. Uh, the, the good thing is that you know, technology does eventually get adopted because we're curious, we want to play, we want to challenge and, and push boundaries, uh, and eventually then we use that technology to solve problems. But technology runs into the issue initially that we like to solve problems without technology. It's, we want to solve the, the puzzle without the, the hint, without the cheat, without the calculator. Mm-hmm. And this can manifest itself in serious ways, and it can manifest itself in sort of not invented here syndrome at the very worst, um, and, and Luddite, Ludditism, where people are actually afraid 
um, their basic fears come out that technology will replace them. Well, you know, history shows that that's complete nonsense. Uh, they have to adapt. Uh, they have to find new skills. But eventually, we're all empowered, and we end up doing more. And it's not that people become unemployed. They just end up doing a lot of different things. So my big sort of rant soapbox thing is that we all, and I'm clearly as guilty as anyone else in the human race, uh, don't take technology for technology's sake, but look around and try to uh, push the boundaries of ourselves. You know, don't let fear uh, hold us down. Um, and uh, because if we can use technology and harness it, we can move faster and better. Thank you very much. Balaji, TT, it's a Geza. Thoughts on what Dan was talking about? Want to add to that, please? It's, it's a very, very interesting uh, perspective. And uh, uh, Dan, uh, both from uh, two takeaways for uh, uh, startups in that manner, right? Mm-hmm. From evolution to uh, our day to day living. Uh, timing is important. Dream big, but also solve real problems, right? I think. Uh, Necessity uh, uh, creates the need for innovation, not always quest for innovation. And uh, our evolution also likely happened because of that, right? Every time we look for, uh, look to push the boundaries, we found new world and new ways of doing things. So uh, very interesting perspective. Thank you, Balaji. Ron Wessels, I'm sure you have something. The word evolution popped up in there at least a couple of times, and I know that's part of what you're passionate about, but let's relate it most specifically to high-tech startups. What are you seeing, Ron? Yeah, I love both of those uh, little segments there from Balaji as well as Dan. Yeah, the thing that I look at for me from an evolutionary perspective, there are some non-negotiables about things that don't change. So, you know, the things that do change, they're always changing. And the things that don't change are the things like our need. And I'm not, by the way, I don't, again, I don't want to go down some philosophical uh, rabbit trail. Mm -hmm. But our need to connect with people, our need to Mm -hmm. get deep and wide, but some people more deep than wide. And I look at the technologies that are doing that, and I see that. Tremendous effect, and again, that is the same thing that goes back to big data, like Balaji's talk, or like Dan and Balaji are talking about the ability of corporations to go deep. But I also think, from an evolutionary perspective, there are some things that are not going to change, uh, and that is the fact that we need to be in relationship. We need to find ways to enhance that, and I don't, again, don't want to go down too much of the uh, philosophical mm-hmm. point of view. But the startups that are solving that problem have always been solving that problem and have been successful time and time again. And Ron, to your point, and I I'm think... Gonna, uh, not go ahead, Balaji. Sorry, Bonnie. Um, no, I was, please, I uh, want to hear from you. Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, not just people being connected. I think our entire opportunity uh, for the high-tech world is because of connected devices, connected people. The connected universe is probably creating more opportunities uh, for us to solve right now. And better yeah. ways of doing it. Right. Absolutely. Uh, you instantly, in my mind anyway, I instantly flip to social media, although I think social media becomes such a surface thing. But what you just referred to, the Internet of Things, that is where things really do go deep and go very personal 
and how do those how do those data points positively impact me at home or me at mm-hmm. work sure. uh, or me at play for that matter <laughs> absolutely all good uh, this, points this, this, and this I, I done. go ahead Dan mm-hmm. please oh, sorry. I, I had an interesting point responding to to those and particularly Ron's point was and again the, the evolutionary psychology point about things remaining the same there's something which you may know called the Dunbar number after Robin Dunbar who's an evolutionary psychologist uh, for I think chimpanzees it's about 50 and for human beings it's 150 and it's a logarithmic plot uh, comparing the size of the cerebral cortex or part of it, it's a ratio actually to the number of people well he defines this, this number of people but that you would that would lend you money so it's number of people in your association um, so in other words p- humans have I think bet- well, yeah, between 100 and 150 people that they will uh, are, are close and connected to and there are interesting studies uh, even on Facebook. Um, so it comes to Ron's point that some things always stay the same, even though those 100 people, 150 people, could be spread all over the world. Good point, Dan. I, I, I just looked it up, Dunbar's number. I found Wikipedia, obviously, but there's also an article in Business Week, and it's a suggested cognitive limit to the number of people with whom one can maintain stable social relationships. And you're right on the money, Dan. You knew that. It's been proposed to lie between 100 and 230, but you hit it, commonly used value of 150. Dunbar's number states the number of people you know and keep social contact with. does not include the number of people known personally with a ceased social relationship and on and on and on. You can all look it up yourself. Good points all. Thank you very much. Uh, Ron, to your point, you're talking about change and connectivity. I was going to throw in my favorite little French phrase, plus ça change, plus la même chose. The more things change, the more they stay the same. Things come back and back and back in fashion. And also to your point about social media, I believe Seth Godin commented, uh, the the prolific author, and uh, I actually get his daily blog and enjoy it very much. I don't know if he writes it all. Authentically, but he's got some damn good writers pushing that stuff out every day of the week. And I believe he said the whole reason for social networking today is that we all have this drive to be connected, to have somebody know we exist and care about us. We want to matter. And I guess with everybody being so far flung geographically, social media is picking up those dots and connecting them. But I, I'm not going to get into philosophy here either. Balaji, I would like to go in a different direction in this conversation, which is great, by the way. And I want to pick up one of the points you told me before the show about data. We've dropped the words big data many times during our conversation so far. I'm going to read this. And, Balaji, I'd like you to start off this segment by commenting. And your comment is, most expensive and wasteful task in the traditional enterprise's information management process is data movement. And you add, moving data between systems delays decision-making And more than that, it diminishes the value of data by losing context. Too many steps. Balaji, talk to us a little bit about this from the perspective of what your startup is doing in the high-tech field. Go ahead. So, uh, talking of data movement, uh, almost all enterprises started uh, building purposeful applications that were originally thought to be uh, in silos and uh, taking off of... uh, uh, Ron's point earlier, all of them are essentially connected. You want a piece of information from one application and another application together to actually get more sense of what's going on. Um, over last two decades, what has happened is we have created a complex spaghetti of uh, information management tools in an enterprise. Anywhere, organizations have 10 to 12 different companies providing 12 to 10 different systems 
essentially moving data from one place to another place and adding very little value while they're losing the context in which the information was created. Um, Instead, we think data should be in a place where what you want to get out of data needs to get to the data rather than data getting to these applications. In this process, we should probably be able to save valuable time, preserve the context, and also be able to save a lot of uh, money for enterprises which are otherwise spending it on non-value-added applications. And I think uh, that is where the enterprise information management system stack is moving, and we are actually trying to see how we can bring efficiencies in that space. Thank you, Balaji. Dan Summers, I'm sure you have something to say about data movement. What is your thought? And if you want to relate that to your focus on manufacturing, please go ahead. Yeah, so, I mean, there's uh, <clears throat> all kinds of wonderful statistics about uh, how much uh, data is being uh, produced. Uh, there's, a, there's a bit of a hackneyed one, but I do like it, and it's, um, uh, it's aircraft. Every time an aircraft banks, seven terabytes of data are created, um, and a great deal of that is streamed, depending on the bandwidth, uh, down, to, um, down to base. Uh, to be able to either uh, help fix a problem when the plane lands or indeed help to solve a, a problem in the air as well. Uh, so there really are vast amounts of data. Now, back to the point about grandma's engagement ring and what we do in particular in terms of root cause analysis, there, could be, there are patterns within all of that seven terabytes which are not obvious. If they were obvious, you probably wouldn't need to measure them or you wouldn't need to measure them so frequently. Uh, but it's really trying to track all that, marshal it, and then get the insights in the speed that you need it. And when you're talking about things like airplanes, <clears throat> and you know, without being too poignant about recent disasters, mm-hmm. but um, you know, there are times when you need answers. The value, time is a critical factor in that. And uh, for safety, for business value, uh, for people's well-being, etc. And you know, I, uh, I hate to say it, but this is really, you know, the, this is this is this is yes, this is SAP Hannah's uh, a big bet. Um, is that you know, speed when you've got all this data is actually a, a, a fundamental dimension, not just to make it 10% faster or 20, uh, but to transform business models and to make uh, step change improvements. Thank you, Dan. Ron Wessels, you want to chime in before I go in yet another direction? Go ahead, please. Yeah, I don't have too much to to offer except for uh, what Balaji was saying is just so fundamental to business in general. Save time, save money. Uh, <laughs> if there's anything we want to do every day, you know, I, only one I'd add to that is save time, save money, add value. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, and then that is what it is to be in business. And so I'm kind of excited about the both what Segesa and Warwick Analytics are doing in this regard. I, I do look at that notion, and, and uh, Dan referred to it, of real-time data decisions. And that is one that I believe is unstoppable. So we will get there. So it isn't, and again, this, I, Bonnie, very careful on this sales pitch thing, don't want to sound like a sales pitch. But I do make this argument, look, we're going to be going to, you know, in-memory real-time databases because there's no going back. And, uh, you know, even when, you know, Balaji is speaking, thinking enterprise information management, it not only does it need to move, you need to find the value in it. So anyway, 
I feel like I'm just repeating what other people no. said. And Bonnie, back to no, you. No, <laughs> no, you're, you're very eloquent, very eloquent. Thank you, all of you. I want to get to the heart of what startups are all about. The goal is you have what you think is the great, as, as Balaji puts it, solutions, solutions, solutions. We've talked about business value, adding value. So my question is, and I'll, I'll address first to Balaji, then to Dan, and then to Ron. What does it take for a startup entering the high-tech field with dreams and goals and passion and balance? We want to keep Ron happy with the balance. We know you're all getting at least two two hours of sleep a night. I usually need about four, but I'm sure you're getting two, and that's plenty. Uh, The question is, Balaji, what does it take for a startup in high-tech to get the attention of major clients if you're going after the big boy market, big boy, big girl market, enterprises, established companies with a budget to pay for what you are bringing to market? What does it take to succeed and get major clients to pay attention to you instead of them saying, oh, they're new, what do they know, let's give them five years and then we'll check it out. What do you see from your standpoint at Segeza Balaji? Um, Bonnie, we, uh, uh, as I said, solution, solution, solution mm-hmm. is what it comes down to. You have to solve a specific problem that is not addressed by existing enterprise systems. If, uh, in our particular case, we deal a lot with large enterprises who look for proven, market-tested, battle-tested uh, systems before they can uh, take a buy decision. Um, if the goal is to enter this market, you have to have true value and solve a specific problem. They are not looking for what was exciting as a technology. They are not looking to buy technology. They are mm-hmm. trying to buy a pro- solution to a problem that they have. And startups which has identified a specific niche and then gone and solved it are likely to succeed better than the ones who believe now they got a $100 billion idea and they want to sell a $100 billion solution. And uh, that doesn't happen. It's, it's an evolving process and people have to look at uh, so- solving specific problems in industries, horizontal, vertical, whatever it might be. But pick an area you're familiar with and solve it well. Thank you, Balaji. And also, let's talk. A little, let's expand that a little before we bring Dan Iran in. You talk about getting attention, being part of an ecosystem. You talk about ISVs, vertical partners, uh, low-cost marketing channels, which today, of course, we all know are meetups and conferences and probably hackathons, I don't know, and LinkedIn groups and, and even Facebook business pages and right here on Twitter on hashtag SAP Radio. What's your thought and what is Segeza's policy on being part of how many ecosystems does it take to get noticed as a viable serious player. Balaji? Um, at least one. So I think... Uh, <laughs> Which one? It, at least, uh, and uh, we are actually proud uh, part of uh, SAP and uh, a couple of other industry uh, verticals where we feel specific solutions are going to help us uh, solve pr- large customer problems. If you look at typically, uh, uh, if there was a dollar of investment made in startups, Typical startups end up spending 70 to 80 cents of that trying to market themselves. Mm. If you're part of an ecosystem, you get to actually spend less, leverage the ecosystem, and also add value in the ecosystem in the white spaces that exist in there. Uh, That's one way to get noticed because uh, it's uh, not an easy path, but you have to demonstrate first to play in that field. And if you're able to go and demonstrate you have true solutions that their customers can benefit Uh, most of these ecosystems uh, put you in the right place and be visible out there. Thank you. Dan Summers, Warwick Analytics, what do you find in terms of getting noticed by the big guys? 
I'll just build on what Balaji is saying. Really, um, I mean, a lot, a lot of that is uh, I, would, I would echo. Um, but I think it's really important to remember that uh, there's nothing to be ashamed of being small. And, you know, spending time trying to puff your chest out metaphorically is time well wasted. Um, there are massive advantages of being small. And if you use a jiu-jitsu mentality and you engage with customers who appreciate that, okay, clearly, you know, there are things like financial risk, there's resource risk, uh, there's uh, maybe some technology risk if you're a bleeding edge or, or whatever. But actually, for the right kind of customers, and this is really where it comes down to smart thinking, you know, you don't kiss every frog's. You just kiss the frogs that look like they're going to change into something. And um, the ones with lipstick on, right? <laughs> um, and, uh, <laughs> That's easy for you to say. <laughs> I don't know where I'm going with that. Um, That's so okay. It, it really I'll comes take down it. to, you know, being small is a strength. Now, clearly, the aim of every startup is to be enormously huge. Um, but, you know, big, innovative companies do exist. There are companies where they, they still have an entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial spirit. They can still be multi-billion dollar enterprises, but they've managed to capture that essence of innovation and, um, and, and you know, looking over their shoulder a little bit, but actually making sure that they're being absolutely the go-to person for maybe a very small niche um, issue and just doing it phenomenally well. Thank you, Dan. I like that essence of innovation. Somebody's going to have to bring that to market. It could be a, what do you think, a men's cologne or a women's perfume or, or a unisex fragrance, essence of innovation. And don't say sweat equity to me. Yeah, We're not going to go there. Oh, so good, Bonnie, just so you know. We're not going to go there. Uh, Ron Wessels, I want you to chime in here. Uh, you talk about the VC, the role of the VC in working with a founding team, helping them get in front of the right market, the right technology connections provided valuable customer introductions. Why don't you take us in the VC angel direction just for about a minute and a half and then we're going to go to break. Go ahead, Ron. Yeah, you know what? Thanks, Bonnie. That it, to me, that, again, it's different life cycles for every company. Mm-hmm. But I have always, maybe a strong word, I, I'll stick with always. I tell startups, look, <laughs> it's not just any money or the amount of money, it's smart money. So can you raise around where you know that, uh, that that funding arm, whether it's a venture capitalist, whether it's an angel, whether it's a private investor, if they are committed to you as an individual or you as a team, A, that commitment, and B, how do they open the doors to opportunities? Because, you know, Kleiner talks about Koretsu, and basically, Kleiner Perkins, that is, basically that just means they're going to do what it takes to be synergistic and bring together their startups, their portfolio, with the, if you will, portfolio alumni who are successful. So I really, when I'm looking for money or if someone is looking for money, I say, make sure you've paid attention to that. What is the opportunity for this source of funding to open doors? So along with that, you know, I love what SAP is doing. You know, 40-year-old company, for years we didn't care about startups. But now with the Startup Focus Program, you know, we jokingly say this is not your grandfather's SAP. We are Mm -hmm. interested in what startups are doing in the innovation, and we want to open those doors. So, anyway. 
Well, Ron, it's a winning combination of essence of innovation and smart money. I like that. And keeping the data moving and keeping it in context. I think we have come up with the formula. I'm going to tell Ron and Dan and Balaji to take a deep breath and a drink of something for 90 seconds. We're going to go to break and come back with our predictions round. Where do you think your company and, in particular, the industry of high tech will be in five years? We're going to go out for just 90 seconds. Michael, out. the boardroom to you voice america business network with new companies like yours competing aggressively for top customers your strategies and tools must level the playing field and position you well against your larger adversaries today you are faced with global competition for both customers and talent that will drive your business the bottom line you need to define what's going to set you apart and you need to embrace innovation in every facet of your company and your brand Startup Focus with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're listening to Startup Focus with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Startup Focus with Game Changers. Here we are. We're going into the predictions round. Got to start off quickly with Dan Summers at Warwick Analytics. Dan, five years from today, where will Warwick be, if you can predict that far out or any time frame you wish? And where will startups entering into the high-tech field be? 90 seconds. Dan, go. If you ask any entrepreneur where their business is going to be, it's a bit like asking a chimpanzee if they like bananas. So um, I I, I guess I'll probably pass on the question just because... um, you know, aspiration uh, is, uh, is, is, and uh, belief and passion is, is the order of the day. Um, the thing which we're most passionate about is, is more than our own success is actually the transformation of our key vertical, which is manufacturing. And related industries such as utilities, but particularly manufacturing. You know, everyone's talking about manufacturing 4.0, 3D printers. Data is going to rule supreme. And... Um, we don't want to just witness the change with the algorithms. What we're trying to do in terms of predictive maintenance, trying to use dirty data to find without hypotheses the root causes of faults and failures and to try and bring down costs and enable companies to make better quality products, with less resource, more innovative products in a quicker, shorter time to market. We believe that the industry, that industry can change and it's something which I'm absolutely passionate about and we want to do our a little bit to bring all of that into existence. Thank you, Dan Summers. Articulate as always. I appreciate that and never stop philosophizing. It's very refreshing. Let's turn to Balaji TET at Segeza. Balaji, great addition to our panel today. Delighted to meet you. What do you see five years from today? Can you look ahead for Segeza and the high tech industry? 90 seconds, go. Segeza, our goal uh, in years to come. 
uh, we'd like to resurrect uh, data from six feet under for anyone who's actually drawn a picture of an enterprise architecture. We see a can that's actually drawn all the way to the bottom. And there's always, after the fact, analysis of what happened. Uh, in the next five years, we want to be seeing data as core of every enterprise, decisions influenced, people pr productivity going up because they have the right thing in their hands uh, in being able to do that. And uh, key to that success is building all the plumbing that's required that makes data significant for these enterprises without a lot of moving parts. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. And Ron Wessels at SAP Startup Focus. Talk to me, Ron. What do you see? Five years? Take a full two minutes. We got Now we have plenty of time. Go ahead. <laughs> Thank you guys for saving some time for me. That was nice. <laughs> you know, I remember uh, when a friend of mine, and I don't even remember what year it was, but a friend of mine, we went to a play, a live play, and he had with him his Motorola Series 800 it was a brick. It was about the size of literally a, a brick. Uh, and it was his mobile phone. <laughs> and I remember him calling his babysitter to make sure everything was okay at the break, in the, you know, the intermission, in the play. And I thought, that is ridiculous. Why would I need one of those? <laughs> yes. And now the question is, why do I have a landline? <laughs> so, <laughs> That's such a good question. Yeah. And, uh, What's by the, the landline, way, I'm trying to figure that one out. Even my landline is now, quote, unquote, over IP anyway. But the point I'm going to make is, I believe, and I'm not trying to be Mr. Prognosticator here, but I do believe that we will go as a... Uh, technology and society to an in-memory, all in-memory database platforms. Everything will be running in real time. Now, hmm. certainly there's going to be massive data sets that get stored on some Hadoop cluster and you do some analysis, but all of the functioning data, the live data, the data that we're interacting with is going to be in-memory. So SAP has made a bet, and I love the, I think Balaji is the one who used the words, you know, SAP's big bet on HANA is, look, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when and whose. So, Bonnie, I guess my answer question is, we're going to go to an in-memory, real-time data platform, data structure, where everything we're doing is getting a response back in real time, whether that's transaction processing, whether that's the analytics, it's all happening in real time, which will then change the questions you ask. Because now, mm -hmm. if I'm doing this analysis in real time, I can ask a different set of questions than if I have to start the query, go home, come back in the morning, get the answer, then take action, do it again, those kind of things. So, uh, you know, I don't want to go on and on, but I will say that there is, you know, there's no white space, quote-unquote, left in the, in the sense of, yeah, somebody's been there, done that. But there's plenty of room, plenty of room to create and build software that takes advantage of this new future in a way that nobody's even thought of. 
essence of innovation. I have a feeling it's going to be the elixir of innovation. I heard either Dan or Balaji briefly in the background when Ron was talking about the old brick phone. Somebody had a quick comment? I can just entertain 30 seconds from someone. Who was it? Yep, I was, I was just asking, what's a landline, Ron? I've never heard of such a thing. <laughs> oh, that just hurts, yeah. Oh, good one, good one. Yes, yes. We didn't need microwaves. We didn't need automatic one, one cup coffee makers. We no. certainly didn't need so. I remember a friend of mine had one of the early Apple iPhones, a gift from his kids, and we looked at it and we said, what the blank is this? And he gave it back. We just didn't. <laughs> early adopter was not on his on his radar. I have a quick quote from Ron Wessels to close out, and then I'm going to give my predictions. Ron Wessels says, in real estate, they say location, location, location. In tech startups, we say traction, traction, traction. It's important to learn not only to go elephant hunting, but to take full advantage of the small wins leading up to the big wins. Thanks for that alternate quote. Love it, Ron. And now it's time for Bonnie's predictions. Today is Thursday. My goodness, we had a double header today. Two radio shows. Let me take you fast forward to next week. On Monday, we will be back with Financial Excellence with Game Changers, 10 a.m. Pacific. Tuesday is HR Trends with Game Changers. We said bye-bye to BizBuzz, and we're back with HR Trends just renewed, 9 a.m. Pacific. On Wednesday, it's Coffee Break with Game Changers. No, it's not Wednesday. It must be Belgium. It's Coffee Break with Game Changers, 8 a.m. Pacific. On Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific. It keeps getting earlier, kids. Future of Business with Game Changers. And then next Thursday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific, I'll be back with another edition of Startup Focus with Game Changers. Thank you to my very articulate panel. Great thoughts. You played so well in the sandbox, all of you. Dan Summers from Warwick Analytics. Delighted to have you back on the show. Balaji TT from Segeza. We are so pleased to meet you, Balaji. Thanks for all your wonderful thoughts and contributions. And Ron Wessels from SAP. Come back anytime. Shout out to Michelle Hickey at the Startup Focus Program. Tom Flanagan, co-producer at Hot Fusion. Thanks for all of your hard work getting the panel together. Malcolm Kimberlin, my other co-producer at SAP. And Michael and the Business Channel team at World Talk Radio. Okay, here's my call to action. Are you ready, Dan? Are you ready, Ron? Are you ready, Balaji? Put your seatbelt on. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. This is Bonnie D. Graham signing off for another packed week of Game Changers Radio presented by SAP. I'll see you on Monday with Financial Excellence. Have a great weekend, everyone. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Startup Focus with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. And please join host Bonnie D. Graham again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.